I'm your host, Lou Carter, founder of Most Loved Workplace. The Leader Show brings together executives and leading thinkers to bring into focus our collective purpose and passion for what we do and where we do it. The search for occupational fulfillment, happiness, pride, and passion starts here. It's great to be here with Jim Scappa here. He's the CEO and founder of Altair. And what a pleasure it is to be here with you today. Wow, a founder of Altair, the founder. It's nice to see you, Jim. Nice to see you as well. You just got quieter than you were before, so now I have to make you louder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can get really loud, but for different reasons. Oh, all right. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, well, this is, no, we have to keep emotional regulation, which is exactly what we were just talking about. And Jim and I were talking a little about, about being founders and keeping our emotional regulation and how we can enable that most loved workplace, really, and how being at a most loved workplace and leading in a most loved workplace is one and the same, really, right? We're in it and we're leading it. And as a founder, Jim, I'd love to hear more about your story as a founder of Alpair. How did it start? How did you get to that level of success where you founded and you had that idea and it germinated? And, and became really truth. It sounds very exciting, but it's more prosaic than that. But let, let me give you my story a little bit. So I grew up in New York City. I, I went to Columbia, came out to Michigan as an engineer in the auto industry and pretty quickly saw I'm not a really big company guy, um, very entrepreneurial, and got an MBA at Michigan, mostly at night, and then uh, thought I'd go back east to work in a venture capital firm. I had these notions, I was very young, and uh, saw the opportunity. Uh, I was involved with a new area of computer simulation, and saw an opportunity to start a company, started a, a business, $1,500 of startup capital, so nothing like what you see these days, uh, especially on the West Coast, and uh, primarily as a consulting business in the beginning very quickly was developing some of our own software. I've always been kind of on the software side and had a, a big, had some failure, failure really important, and then uh, had a very big success with one product called HyperMesh. And I began to take that internationally and, and continue to reinvest through the success of that product as I went international as well and continued to bring some new products out so that's that's really the story of Altair. You know, little by little, I think I've just brought a lot of great people on the team. It's it's a culture that I think uh, we we just we just closed on a very small acu acqui hire this morning. Tiny company in India, seventeen people, uh, almost no revenue. But I had brought my C team on the call this morning, and very very early this morning just to meet the new people that are coming in and, you know, listening to my own team members, you know, talking about how long they've been with the company and how people don't really leave that often. You know, it, it's just been a, a very, very nice ride for many years. So you, you mentioned people don't leave, you know, that that's huge. Tell me more about what leads people not to leave. Why do they stay? So I've had kind of the same four key points to our, 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 or key value points, if you will, to our culture. 
for many, many years. And, and the first one is, is you know, we're, we're thinking about the future. I, I say we envision the future and then we make our decisions in the context of that longer future, you know, step by step. So I think we're always, we're always looking out there. And I think that's exciting and, and fun for people. The second one, you know, I think is that everyone talks about being honest and, you know, you've got to have an honest culture. And we are very honest with each other and with customers as well. But one of the things that, that I really push hard is this idea of broad communications. And what that means to me, I, you know, I've worked in some big companies very early and politics kind of creeps into a company when you have, you know, this, you know, Lewis decides I've got some information. I want to share it with Jim, but Amy doesn't need to know that. So I'll leave her out. And, you know, Gilma, I don't know if she needs to know it. And, and I really fight that. So I have these broad email groups. We, we try and really communicate broadly internationally as well about what we're doing wrong, about what we're doing right. We cheerlead a little bit broadly as well. We talk about the challenges that we have in the, in the market, all of that in a very broad way. And I think it makes people feel included in, in what's happening. And so I think that's a very powerful idea as well. We're always looking for new, uh, new technology and new business models and we're experimenting a lot. And then the last thing I think in Altair that's, that's pretty powerful is this idea of diversity. Everyone talks about diversity today, but I, you know, from, I'm, I'm telling you it's over 30 years. I've had the same points to, to the culture. It's to really embrace diversity. I was on several calls just in the last day or two, and even I'm amazed. I'm looking at, at the leadership of my team, and it's, you know, there's a guy from Germany, a guy from Italy, a guy from France, a guy from India, a guy from China, a guy from Japan. And this is just the solver team leaders, you know, on the tech team. And, and so we're so broad and international. We're so diverse. And it's throughout, it's top down, really. And, and I think that is super powerful. We weren't as good on the, on the gender side. And I've been, I have all daughters, by the way, two are engineers, one's a lab animal vet. And so I really have pushed this gender aspect of diversity as well in the last 10 years. Um, and I think it's really taking root. Um, and so diversity is big. And then finally, we just take risks. I like to experiment. I'm always reorganizing. <laughs> I'm always trying, and there's a lot of resistance internally very often. Um, and sometimes it's, it's quite a failure, but very often these things we learn from them and just quickly pivot and, and move on. So that's in a nutshell what I, I think are my key reasons why this, this business works and, and why people tend to stay. Not everybody stays. And by the way, we kick people out too. <laughs> if, you know, I, we are not afraid if someone isn't fitting or isn't measuring up. It's a very, very, very high caliber group of people. But we're really nice about it. Even when we're kicking somebody out, you want to treat people with respect. And, it, you know, it, it wasn't a fit for them. But we're not afraid to do that either. We, we recognize that we have to do that if, if people aren't fitting right. So um, it's all that. So probably more than you wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs>
I love all three concepts. The, you know, the idea of broad communications, transparent communications, giving people the, the idea that they can, well, not just the idea that they can be honest and open and you can help them to know if it's not the right place for them. And the diversity as well that you're describing, not just geographic, but also culture and background, ethnicity, communication, so many different factors come along with, with uh, diversity. And you aspire to have a workforce of 50% female, including C-suite and board. Tell us more about that. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's, it's part of the whole diversity element. You, you really want the perspectives. To some extent, I see it as the power of the U.S. My parents were immigrants from Greece in, in the early 50s. You know, I see the power of the U.S. historically as, as this idea of, of diversity, actually. I think, you know, some people are fighting against it now and whatever, but, you know, that is the, the historical difference. You know, if you go to Japan and it's, you know, fairly monocultural, if you will, of course, that's changing too, but that diversity of thinking is very important. And, and you know, having women in that mix, you know, is, is just so important, I think. And not, not just tokenized, there's, there's so many amazing, if you go to the very top technical universities, Columbia, where I came out of and I'm very active with, but most of the really top technical universities are 50% women at this point. And as you go down, it's less so, actually, believe it or not. And as you go down, you see women entering in freshman year and dropping out after a year or two. Because what's important is that they see the, the professors, you know, there's, there's the people to aspire to who need to be women as well, which is why you need the top down, bottom up. And, and so, yes, I, I'm a huge believer in, in, in that gender diversity. And that's really what you've aspired to here is, is it's C-suite and board. It's both. And board. And like you said, top down. And uh, the competencies, the behaviors that you have now are inclusive. That's what you're creating to be a most loved workplace is an inclusive culture. And uh, that respect that you also spoke so much about is such a critical keystone, really, capstone and keystone feature of, of being a most loved workplace. Thank you. Tell me more. I, I always like to know, from, especially from founders, you know, sort of, how how is it that sort of uh, you know there are things I'm sure you could teach people right now and me as well as a you know as a founder and I'd love to know sort you know what are there things that you would sort of never do right and why what what are those things to, so to help people to know really what should they not do and and why is it that they shouldn't do it. I'm not sure I know exactly what you should never do. And I'm quite certain that I am not, I'm super far from, I make so many mistakes. It's, it's crazy. But I think you, you want to certainly when you do make a mistake, you want to be very quick to admit it, to, you know, talk about it in an open way and, and to just move on from that and, and to learn from that. So I don't know about what you should never do. I think you need to be listening a lot to people and, and listening actively. You know, a lot of people listen, but their own ideas are like rumbling around so fast that they're not really actively listening. And, and I think it's, it's super important. People want to be heard. 
you really have to very actively listen and, and you're obviously terrific at that that's what you know that's what makes you good at what you do i, li- I like what you say about active listening right and um how we're hearing each other and we're, we're responding really right mm-hmm. to the nature and the the sensibility and this what, what what we're feeling as well from what you said right and you know i i heard the respect for what i do as well i'm hearing and and mm-hmm. understanding too how you're saying that we need to hear and we need to also be mindful that we sometimes need to apologize say i'm sorry and yeah. say that that was i'm i take responsibility for that and that shows leadership and then next time i will do this better here's what i can do and follow through on that really and saying this is what i can do will do and then that accountability that trust that respect forms even more next time yep here's here's another one that i, I love i love asking uh this is one i love love asking which is you know what is that biggest mistake you made and how and <laughs> and how did you correct it these are not easy questions by the way they're hard and but people really want to know about it because they you can really connect to somebody who says, I get it. I've been there. I've done it. I want to know how to do it better, especially from people as successful as you are. Do you have that sort of biggest mistake you made and how did you correct it? Because mistakes are welcome, aren't they? Right? They're 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 things that help us get better to improve next time. I don't know that I want to pick a specific one out. I, I've made so many, I've made more mistakes than you can imagine. <laughs> Because I really am an experimentalist. I've reorganized a hundred different ways. And, and, you know, one of the things that I've found is, is, you know, something that doesn't work today, very often, you know, we all tend to say, well, I've, I've had that experience because we're products of our experience. I did that. That didn't work. That'll never work. Right. Actually, very often something that's not working today you need to like take it back out again and look at it again <laughs> and decide because in this sort of changed set of circumstances further down the road, that idea actually may have legs now. And so I, I think that's, that's super important. I, I mean, the most of the mistakes that I've made are around people, you know, quite honestly, I, I've opened offices and, 26 or 27 countries and i personally i used to travel visit visit each market each each country spend a good deal of time there meet a lot of people customers and resellers and others and then i would identify who i wanted to lead that market for me and i would recruit them and bring them in and and raise that whole thing and i've made some mistakes on some of those (laughs) and uh and had to correct those i've had people who stole and cheated us and you know we grew up as a private company and and maybe there were some fewer controls and i've had to remove those people and you know in some cases in general i first of all i think i'm a pretty good judge of people but not always and uh and people change as well but but in general i i think you really, I, I believe I have to trust the people who work for me a lot. Uh, and I do, and I trust them with a lot. And I think if you trust people, they give back way more than that. When they violate that trust, 
I'm pretty firm about it. <laughs> I'm not good with people who violate that trust, but I don't want to spend my life policing people in any way at all. I, I, I'd rather trust them, give them the tools, the, you know, the, the power to get out there and innovate and be creative. And usually they, they just return that in such great ways. So I don't know if that's the answer to your, your question. It's not, but sorry. <laughs> it's a great answer to the question. And I hear this so many times from, from founders, especially, you know, we have to find the right people. And then when we do find the right people, we believe they are and we give them the trust and then they take away that belief that we can trust them. What do we do now? What do we do now? And uh, we've lost, they've lost. It's a lose-lose situation. And I really like what you said. It's important to be firm. Important to be firm. And perhaps, you know, I, I would say a mistake I've made in the past too is the firmness and the inability to, uh, or my inability, I'd say for myself, to say that's not the right person for this. To not know it was coming and not know the nuances of their behavior. Because we can have people that we knew, maybe, you know, for you, Columbia, back in your, your days, right? You knew you had your friends and people you knew and you went to class with and you know how they behave by and large, right? <laughs> or you had your, you know, Friday nights, Thursday nights when you all went out together and you, you got to know them. At this, so at this, when you're with 3,000 people and you have a board and you have people all around you, you can't see around the corners as well. It's hard to see around the corners. And having trusted advisors, people who can poll and see what's around you when you can't is essential. Sounding boards and, you know, so important, right? Right, Jimmy? Isn't that, that's really what we're talking about here. Of course. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not easy, an easy place to be. And it's great to, to hear and see your success. It's wonderful. Success does not come without a price. It does not come with a price without the change that you've gone through personally, professionally, deep change. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. They just think, oh, he's the founder. He's done incredibly well. He's successful. Oh, you know, great job. They're jealous in some way. No, Jim worked really hard for this. He worked on himself. He worked on understanding others. He at times wasn't able to trust people because they didn't earn it, right? It's not easy to succeed. It is not easy. It is a painful process. Well, that is very, very true. I, you know, I've had to change, you know, started basically with a couple of people and we've grown to a pretty large business, publicly traded. And I personally have had to morph from being, you know, a leader in my 20s, <laughs> a very small team and, you know, up to 50 people, then to 100 people and to 500 people. And at every stage along the way, the business needs to change and I need to change as a leader. Um, and then, you know, I had a lot of people tell me, don't take the business public, Jim, you'll hate it, you know, all of that. But, you know, I enjoyed that challenge and I, I enjoy that challenge because I love change and I, I actually enjoy the aspect that I have to do things differently and trying to keep as much the same, but still 
respecting the new rules of being a public company. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a really fortunate person, though. You know, I mean, I have an amazing family. I have five daughters and five granddaughters, and we're a very close family, and the business is, is so successful, and the culture in the business is, is very, very warm, even at our size. Um, you know, it, I think would surprise a lot of people. Of course, thank you for the award. Somebody noticed, but... Uh, yeah, I, I feel very fortunate. It's important, too, to have gratitude for our situation, to have gratitude for who we are and where we're at and our family, and, and to know that we can help others as well in that process, to pay it forward in many ways, and to, be, to create that culture for others so they themselves can prosper. That's a recipe for success. Yeah. It, within Altair, when we IPO'd, we had about 800 people who had equity in the business. A lot of founders will hold on to all the equity, but I really distributed a lot and we continue to do that. And it was super gratifying to me. I mean, there's many, many millionaires and multimillionaires who have come out of this. And, and for me, it's such a pleasure that these people who supported me during those years have have really been rewarded. And I've had so many tell me it's transformed their lives. And, you know, they, it, it's a really, really nice feeling. And I am a very fortunate public company because I have controlling interests still, which is not usual in, in a public company, but it gives me the ability to balance correctly the long view, you know, making decisions sort of in, in the context of that envisioning the future and not just the short term but also balancing it against what the shareholders, you know, these new shareholders need. And I think I've, I've been doing that for a really well. So, yeah. Okay. So, and you're on, so you have controlling interest and you're on NASDAQ. It's incredible. A lot of founders, you know, at, with controlling interest, you, you could do a lot with that. <laughs> there's Twitter, there's social media, right? And it sounds like you're a very responsible CEO. Right. And, and uh, you have social responsibility. You think about your constituents, your shareholders, and that means a lot. It makes it makes a big difference in how people perceive you and how people perceive your company. Yeah. Well, I'm not I'm not as famous as some other tech founder leaders, uh, for sure. You know, I've, I've been an experimentalist. and I had a lot of patents around business models, and one of them covered uh, consumer digital content and it's a model that i used to sell my software very successfully but i built a platform that was music books podcasts all of that we called it wave an amazing piece of technology with a lot of machine learning uh, to, to create playlists and all that and we had about fifteen thousand monthly active users and, and we shut it down but had i been the guy you know, Twitter, you know, using Twitter and social media very actively. If, if I was, let's say, Elon Musk, that thing would have been killer. <laughs> so maybe I'm doing some things wrong. Maybe I, I need to be much more out there and, and visible. But for me, this is my personality and it, it's worked successfully for, for me. <laughs> Like you said, there's always room for change if you want it. It's always a, it's a, there's a cost and benefit to change, right? So it just depends upon, I think, wishes and choices at that point, right? 
especially where I, the level you're on. So, Jim Schaffer, they're really nice to meet you. Really great to interview you. Congratulations on being a most loved workplace. Really great, great to talk with you. Louis, thank you very much. Appreciate uh, the interest in, in speaking with me and really appreciate the award. Thank you.